Okay, please tell the radio audience who you are, where you are, and what you claim to do. What I are? <laughs> what you is. <laughs> what I is. I'm Ani DeFranco, and I am in New Orleans. Um, and what am? And I'm a folk singer, I think, or I used to be when I still had a job. Looks like we maybe made it through something wild. Well, your job is to speak to our evolving consciousnesses. Yeah, conscious and I. You know, I guess maybe in a similar way to the way I came out talking to other women in my songs. Like, do not, do not stand between yourself and your own power. Like, don't, don't be convinced that you're helpless. You are not. It has been a long, 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 long time since it felt like that. Well, do we have a show for you today? As you probably already know, this is The Show on the Road, my weekly audio journey through the music catalog and inspirations of some of your favorite and maybe new favorite songwriters and performers from around the world. I'm your musical Jeep driver through the twisting dunes and forested curves of consciousness, Zach Lupatin. And to say our guest this week has fully awoken to how broken and beautiful our society really is may be the understatement of the year. To many listeners, especially young women, who have followed Ani DeFranco devotedly since her fiery 1990s self-titled debut when she was just 19, through the 22 albums and counting she has put out all on her own independent Righteous Babe records, outside the creeping consumer's corporate and male agenda, and the countless winding tours across three continents, she is more than a musician. DeFranco is more of an enlightened, tiny, talented poet-prophet, a singing sage often going it alone, a monk-like figure with shaved head and clear eyes and wise maxims ever flowing from her mouth. While she did run away from her hometown of Buffalo, New York with just a guitar in tow, she later returned to open her own music venue in an old church, which I did play, and it was awesome. She's now based in the one place in this country that doesn't really feel like America at all, New Orleans. Look, child prodigies usually don't last this long and keep making material this good. Ani has been doing this at a high level for such a long time, she began playing music in public at age 10. And now hitting the half-century mark, her new record, which came out this year, Revolutionary Love, may be the most powerful thing she has ever created. I bet a lot of folks listening today were kind of like me until I actually took the time to listen to her songs. Initially ignorantly scared off by her fearless political stances or those twisty in power don't fuck with me or my sister's energy flying out of her acclaimed albums like Imperfectly or Living in Clip which went gold or Evolve which won a Grammy. Listening deeper, what I can now appreciate is her percussive guitar work, her hold no prisoners lyrics that put everyone under the microscope, even herself. And maybe you're already aware of her practice what you preach activism, pushing for abortion rights, LGBTQ rights, gun violence awareness, climate change awareness. She brought music to prisons. Long story short, I was pretty scared when my internet went out and I was supposed to zoom into her music room in Crescent City and talk to her all about all of it. But I'm so thankful that Ani was able to wait for me as I jolted back into the right patterns of ones and twos, and then we were able to talk for hours. This is, no joke, one of the most inspiring conversations I've ever had with any human being, period. After talking to DeFranco, it made me stop and think about who my favorite musicians are and who's represented in music right now. 
If I could make a desert island playlist, the music that I would put on blast at my funeral if I could attend as a guest, it would be Jenny Lewis's Rabbit Fur Coat, Nicole Atkins's Italian Ice, Philadelphia's criminally underrated Bertie Bush's Pattern of Saturn, anything from Nina Simone, Ella Fitzgerald, Brittany Howard, Aretha Franklin, Joni Mitchell, Mavis Staples, Stevie Nicks. Women music makers have made my life what it is today and made me want to be a better songwriter. And yet, as Ani keeps gently hinting during our conversation, women are still barely represented in the seats of power within the music industry. That's why she wanted to create Righteous Babe Records so she could be the CEO of her own company. I know it's getting better, but look at some of your favorite festivals from even two to three years ago. How many female headliners are on there? Not many, are there? According to The Guardian, when the USC Annenberg Inclusion Initiative published its third annual Inclusion in the Recording Studio report examining the gender and ethnicity of creators across 800 U.S. single chart hits from 2012 to 2019, the glaring gender gap in power became even more clear. Across those eight years, just 21.7% of artists were women. Women fared worse behind the scenes. Just 14.4% of 2019's leading songwriters were female, and of 800 songs and 56% did not feature even one female songwriter. Only 2.6% of all music producers are women. And I'll admit, after recording nearly 10 albums over 15 years, myself with three different groups, I never even once thought to look for a female producer. I hope I can change that coming up. And if the Americana movement wants to actually be the enlightened country music of our age, it needs to start that change right now. Anyway, this week, live music is starting to creep back into our lives, and my band Dust Bowl Revival will be rehearsing for our double virtual concert experience. If you still want to support live music, which I know you do, please snag a ticket or 10. May 6th, we will be playing Is It You, Is It Me, our new record, in its entirety, and May 13th, we will be playing old Dust Bowl Revival favorites and new surprises. That's it for me. Thanks for leaving us a kind review on Apple Podcasts. It means so much. This show, as you can tell, is free. Not a lot of people are getting paid for this, so showing your love and support really keeps us going. And if you do want to be a champ and donate, znlupitan at gmail.com on PayPal. You can send any amount, and it really helps us keep the show rolling. Okay, I'll shut up now, I promise. Here she is now, the one and only Ani DeFranco. I was telling my wife that I shamefully realized that it's only taken um, these last few weeks to fully dive into your work because I felt like as a young man, I was intimidated and I felt like the music like was not for me, like I would be intruding. And now I realize that I'm an idiot and I have just fallen in love with your music um, going way back to when you first started uh, in the early 90s with you know, your first record, um, that was 1990, I believe, right? The debut record? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I don't know if you're an idiot. I think all you had an, you had a, whatever, a a genuine response 
of intimidation, and that's real, right? And it probably, on many levels, was intimidating. <laughs> you know, um, I certainly f- don't. It wasn't just you <laughs> who reacted to me and my big mouth and my songs, and I don't know the specter of a lot of young women. Uh, discovering their own power, maybe together, you know. So that's a that's a shift in society. It's a uh, and um, yeah, I think female power can be intimidating, you know. Um, and yeah, we used to, uh, but yeah. The, so maybe it is a more a more circuitous or brave journey for a masculine human being to find their way to my music, or at least back in the day when, um, yeah, the mosh pit was all female, you know, but, but many have, and, and thank goddess, because I don't like anybody want to preach to the choir. I want to talk to my fellow humans, um, you know, uh, and not, not be Mm -hmm. put in some camp and, be told that my music is only for certain kinds of people, you know, nobody really wants that. But as we are, you know, getting more sophisticated in this society with, um, you know, movements towards equality um, on every level, we are discerning that there is a difference between a woman fronting an all-male band, you know, with all-male producers released on an all-male record company to an all-male industry, you know. um, Exactly. And women filling all those roles and and actually controlling the means of production or the the way it's delivered to an audience, the all the stuff that surrounds uh, somebody's song, you know. So it doesn't feel right to me because I was always very political and very feminist, you know. Um, like, it doesn't feel right to me to just get in bed with the old boys with their old toys and, you know, and for what my art is and what my purpose on the planet is to go that traditional route um, seemed like a cop-out for me. So I just tried to find my own alternative and it was a long, um, fascinating process. Still is, really. <laughs> you know, still at it. You grew up in Buffalo, right? That's where your yeah, label is based. Yeah, yeah. My band Dust Bowl Revival played Babe Town. Oh, Babeville, cool. Babeville, awesome. Oh, great. Babeville is in Babe Town. You know, it's like it's in the suburb of Babe Town. Yeah, right. Babe Town, which is going to be the new uh, name for Buffalo, if I can. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> By the time I'm done. But let's dive into this new record real quick. Uh, this is what, your 20... 22nd, yeah. 22nd? That's a lot of records. That's a lot of records. But there's an urgency to a lot of these songs, especially uh, Do or Die, which is maybe my favorite track. Um, oh, cool. About just coming out and saying what's really happening, but in this poetic, almost playfully um, interrogative way. Do you ever just want to give up? Well, me too. Are you shocked by what people get? Get used to. This idea that something is very wrong, but there's something that we can do about it. It feels like a Marvin Gaye song. 
but now. Oh, love it. Well, I'm flattered. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, if you think your vote doesn't matter, you're not paying attention. I mean, look at what they're continuing to do, these people who desperately want to stop democracy in its tracks, you know, and have minority rule. They're, they're, they're trying to make it as hard as possible for people to vote. Ev- you know, and for yeah. many, many decades, the gerrymandering, the corporate money and politics, the, you know, the, the, the getting rid of the Voting Rights Act, the, all of these things are, are to, it's all about the power of our vote and keeping us from it. And, you know, and so when I hear disillusioned people saying that they don't vote because it's meaningless and their voice, it doesn't matter. And you know, I think, oh, they've won. But yeah, I think these days when I write songs, I'm, I'm especially focused on trying to not intimidate Mm -hmm. so much, you know, like I think when I was young and I first started, uh, you know, expressing my outrage about the what is, you know, it, it, it could be, it could feel a little shrill to people who weren't exactly in the same seat of that outrage going, yes, thank you for screaming what I've wanted to scream for so long, you know, but that is hard for somebody a little bit to the left or right, or, you know, in a different position to to hear, to let in, you know, to follow. So, yeah, these days, you know, I feel like I'm I'm a heck of a lot older and and slightly calmer, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, I've elbowed out space for myself in this world for 30 years through my music. So now I have a space to be. So that is calming, you know. I feel like I do have power and, uh, you know, personal, whatever, to be myself. I have room to be myself. So now I can focus on trying to communicate these same kinds of things, maybe turning over rocks in society, but doing so, you know, gently, you know, uh, you know, trying to draw people in even from a great distance, you know, um, and uh, not scare them away. released a memoir um 2019 called no walls and the recurring dream um and some of the articles i was reading about it highlight your own doubt about trying to convert people right that maybe it's not your job anymore to try to convince people constantly and that it's about empathizing and trying to reach across the aisle musically in a way but then again not forgetting the things that have happened sort of this middle ground that we need to find in our society that is so at each other's throats right now. Mm, because Yes, yes. And we have to live with these people. We have to talk to them and try to understand why they got here. I'm in Florida right now. <laughs> There's Confederate flags flying. 
on the little canals with people riding their boats. And they're not trying to like be hostile to me and my beliefs, but it's hard for me to want to dialogue with people who believe that that is still an acceptable flag to fly. I mean, I think I've always had a pretty clear sense uh, in my work and my art. What I was doing was not convincing anyone who doesn't see women uh, as fully formed human beings, Mm. um, just simply giving voice to my being, um, my experience, my perspective. And in that way, supporting all those like me who also feel silenced, who also feel marginalized, unseen, Mm. undisrespected, um, disempowered. So, you know, I think that, you know, when we you know, try to add our, our voice to, you know, become a part of this solution, this, you know, burgeoning equality. I think it is good to maybe, or at least it's been helpful to me to think of, I'm not trying to change anybody's mind or convince them that they're wrong and I'm right. I'm trying to support as many people as I can. You know, I'm trying to support people who need support, you know, so whether it's women or, or poor people or people of color or queer people or whoever factors into my writing, um, you know, support them and their humanity and their right to become themselves too. And the stronger we can make ourselves, the more free and Mm. empowered we can become, you know, the solution writes itself. I think we get uh, confused that it is actually a conflict of ideology when really it's just about tribes. It's about tribalism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's about you can't tell somebody their idea is wrong if changing their idea means leaving their family, community, friends and life up till now, you know, and going into an abyss of pe- of strangers and nothingness like how that's what you ask of somebody when you say change your mind because your idea is wrong and mine is right so i think we have to come at it with an awareness that we're monkeys who cannot be alone to be yeah. alone to be ostracized from the tribe is to is death that's equivalent to death in our you know our physiologies our minds our our spirits so what I think the, the mission is, is to make ourselves, whoever we are, you know, whoever is, needs help, to make ourselves strong and whole and to welcome, to just love and welcome the opponent, you know, because if you can show them that they have a home here on this side yeah. of whatever that line in the sand is, then they are free to change their mind. You know, but until you show them there is another place to go where they can make a home and have a community and be held, there's no way you can change their mind. Have you considered running for office? <laughs> yeah, woo. That sounds awful. <laughs> Mayor of I New really Orleans. like playing I mean, guitar. You could get elected down there. Gee whiz, Louisiana, you think so? I don't know. Maybe just New Orleans. It's like its own universe. Yes, it is. It is. I know you probably don't listen to, you know, all of your old songs since there's 20 
two albums and counting. But yeah, no way. A song like Angry Anymore feels like it should be dropped into the conversation in this society right now. I sent it to my wife earlier because I almost got chills listening to it about having empathy for people like our own parents who are coming at life from a totally different perspective. Their prejudices, their fears, their anger, you know, it's injected in our bones, in our blood, and we have to learn how to forgive them and forgive ourselves, that part of ourselves. Yeah, families are great incubators. This is where we practice, practicing revolutionary love. Growing up was just me and my mom against the world. All my sympathies were with her when I was a little girl. Now I've seen both my parents play out the hands that they were dealt. As each year goes by, I know more about how my father must have felt. I just want you to understand that I know what all the fighting was for. And I just want you to understand that I'm not angry anymore. No, I'm not angry anymore. And coming back to that unconditional love is where you have to start. You know, and this sort of thing I'm trying to explore more deeply, uh, I think, with every day that I spend on this planet and certainly on this new record called Revolutionary Love. You know, it's how can you remain in a place of unconditional love without being, you know, without being a victim, without being a pushover, without being just accepting um, uh, the ills that people perpetrate upon each other. Um, it's tricky business for sure. Um, the first thing that I would say about revolutionary love is that it's done in community, right? It's a, mm. it's inherently not a thing that an individual does, um, because revolutionary love takes all of us uh, together, you know, to really make it happen. And I think within a community, every person plays a different role, right? You know, so if you are a person who is presently uh, has a boot on their neck, it is not your job in this moment to reach out the hand, to turn the other cheek, to be the, you know, to try to, you know, it's your job in this moment to survive to take care of yourself to defend yourself you know so each of us we have a role to play in the enacting of revolutionary love and that changes based on our circumstance and our you know selves and our lives so i feel like again after 30 years of getting the boot off my neck i am now ready to do the next phase, you know, to focus on the next phase of drawing in, of reaching out, of of trying to engage my opponents with unconditional love to remain open and curious and engaging of them because I am now strong enough. I am now free enough. I'm now ready, you know. Was there a point in your career as an artist, as a female creator where you felt like you 
had the tools to be okay in your body and in yourself? Like, was that something that happened very early on, this sort of self-conscious awareness that you are not going to please everyone and you have to just be yourself? Because you started so young. I mean, your first record was when you were, what, 19? I don't know. I mean, I think I was raised to be a pleaser. You know, I like to please people. It sounds funny maybe to somebody who uh, just shared that they felt intimidated, you know, by my music and my voice for a lot of years. I I hate to make people uncomfortable. <laughs> you know, I'm like one of those, one of those, you know, types that's it took me a lot of years because my my life in interviews, my life with the press, you know, was one of, you know, older white dudes, usually, you know, basically the line of questioning, you know, is like looking at me sideways. And the questions were, what's your problem? You know, where do you get off? And what, you know, why do you exist? You know, just like yeah. just questions asked from such a distance, such a such a yeah, just like I have no idea why this even exists. I don't like it and I don't. And and then as I, you know, sort of persisted in connecting with an audience, despite the sort of marginalization and the stereotyping and the pushing down and away of the media, then the questions of, so what is it about you? Do you think that why you still have a job? You know, it's like, Never once could I, did it feel like I could talk to somebody who felt my music or what it might be about it that was connecting mm. or what, you know, it was always a, a, a matter of trying to justify myself to somebody who's not really there for that, you know? So yeah, like interviewing used to just piss me off and I'm afraid I didn't come in every interview with the spirit of revolutionary love. Of course, I will be a teacher now and I will show you old well, you white were dude. A teenager. Yeah, I was a teenager and yes, I felt like fuck you and you and you and you. <laughs> but um you don't get to control what people listen to, right? The most popular trending tracks on Spotify out of your control. So a song like Both Hands, it's 30 years old and yet that's the first thing that people who don't know you that well are going to listen to. It's the number one thing on there. The mm. percussive guitar part that is just like stopping and starting and saying like, you know, mm -hmm. how hard we're trying. We're trying so fucking hard yeah. to record the history of this moment on the bedroom wall, on your body. Yeah. You know? And I'm glad that those songs are still being heard. Those things are not of time, you know? So I fear that... Yes, songs I wrote 30 years ago could have been written tomorrow. Woody Guthrie songs that were written 50, 60 years ago could have been written tomorrow. You know, there are songs even older than that that still pertain to the human experience, to the human struggle. Um, it doesn't get old, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Although some, you know, it's like when I play a song I wrote about gun violence that's 20 years old, you know? Right. When it's tomorrow's massacre and it's time to pull that song out again, you know, it's just like it can Exhausting. be 
Exhausting, exactly. Or, you know, you pull out a Woody Guthrie song that could have been written tom- about tomorrow's headline. You know, it's, it's like, it can be depressing. But I do believe that we are evolving, you know, and that this incredibly regressive political atmosphere is, you know, a panicked, very frightened uh, pushback against... I think something that is cracking open, the real America, the real American dream, just on the horizon. And in each other's shadow we grew less and less tall, and eventually our theories couldn't explain it all. And I'm recording our history now on the bedroom wall, and when we leave the landlord will come and paint over it all. And I'm walking out in the I am listening to the low moan and the dial tone again And I am getting nowhere with you And I can't let it go And I can't get through Well, that song, Shrinking Violet, off of uh, the new record, captures the fraught feeling of being a woman in this society where even though people are starting to understand the depth of the misbehaviors that are happening all around the female body. You can't not write about it and speak out. So you have to kind of wrestle with the fact that this innate male violence is like the sun rising every day. Mm. It's something that will always be there. Mm -hmm. And that somehow you have to not be a shrinking violet. You have to stick up for yourself, but also not make that your whole identity as the person who's going to be victimized. Mostly I'm afraid Never again will I know That I can trust your love As far as I can yeah, it's been that song in particular has been one of those amazing um, touch points for me and other people. Um, just since it came out on the record, you know, just hearing, you know, like I'll have a whole long conversation with a with a woman interview or something, and then at the end there'll be this very quiet like thank you for that song, you know, or something like, or did oh, that wow. to you or something? Yeah, just making me more aware as my whole life in, in music and songwriting has done that I'm not alone, that, and, and that the people, you know, da-da-da-da-da, oh, there's a perfectly empowered, happy, you know, strong woman doing her thing, and then, oh, guess what? Behind the curtain, there's a very afraid person who is just surviving something and um, and lives in fear and is not free uh, and they're everywhere all around you I'm no shrinking 
and yeah, and I do think you're right. There is an inherent, um, you know, violence in our species, and um, so that is a fact. Uh, but I think that, you know, again, uh, while you can't sort of convince the violence out of our human species, you know, mm-hmm. or or tell it it's wrong and make it go away, you can show it that a woman is the same as themselves. You know, you can show a man <laughs> who has aggressive, aggressive stuff in his nature, for instance, mm-hmm. That the woman in front of him is himself, is the same, is is a yeah. is a human, not an object. Like you can teach people to see each other. You know, you can't teach the violence out of them all the way, um, uh, because again, it's a part of our nature. But you can help to mitigate that violence by teaching them that they are not alone that that they are that there is another human being with who feels everything they feel in front of them um so and and has a life that's deep and vast and worthy of respect you know so mm. yeah it's um again yeah just trying to give voice to the existence of myself i think is and and thereby others because none of us is alone or unique you know we all are many so i think that's that's all it's about and you do see you know this me too uh movement that you noted um you know i think that's an incredibly hopeful sign that there's this critical mass now of men who see women so that the stories of women, which have always been there, which have always been trying to be told, which have, women have been, you know, shouting from the rooftops f- forever, uh, and but often completely taken down when they tried, you know. So now the fact that a woman can tell her story and have it be heard and have it be considered is an incredibly hopeful sign. It means that we're becoming visible, we're becoming human. So too, queer people, people of color, whatever it is that makes you slightly off-center of this dominant culture. Um, People are becoming visible and audible and real to the dominant culture, you know? So that's beautiful and transformative and I think we are just getting started with that my dad was talking about the footage that um, I think he saw on YouTube of suffragettes the women who were protesting for the vote in the early part of the 20th century that they were beaten down on the steps of the Capitol by the police (laughs) yeah 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 they they famously it was not even just uh you know, the marches, they were out there every day. They were out there yeah. every day for years. They literally were on the steps of that Capitol every day. I am going to be a bee in your bonnet <laughs> until I can vote. Well, what we saw with the marches uh, last summer after the George Floyd killing, that it forced people to be like, okay, fine, like we should take this more seriously. Like that annoyingness, that persistence. I think is important. Oh, yeah. It's those people in Portland showing up every night. Every day. Every city. Every day last summer. What a brilliant, 
gorgeous, amazing show of strength. Um, and look at the ramp, look at what's happening now because of that, exactly what you said, you know, like all of these voter suppression laws, all of these laws that they're passing all over the place, Georgia right next door, you know, to try to keep people from being able to vote if you're black or you're poor or you're this or you're that or you're anything other than an elite. Um, corporations, businesses, baseball teams coming out saying you can't do this. You can't stop people from voting because you know what? It's becoming bad for our business. Like mayhem on the streets every single day, broken window, this thing, that, that with, it's preventing all of us from making money. So stop it. You know, well, in Amazing. a weird way, it's like cool. Oh, it's, right? that it's like, is what it takes. That like, is what well, it takes. It's cool to go out and protest and we don't want to like take away our customer. You know, it's like we got to give them kind of what they want. Yeah. Which is Political, such a weird corporate That thing. level of agitation by the people, you know, uh, business, businessmen are like, this is bad. This is bad for business. This level of instability creates uh, a kink in our money-making game and we it's gone too far. So you can't oppress people this much because it's preventing us from doing business, you know? And that is really the end game that's gonna stop <laughs> these these types of voter suppression laws, you know? It's the base it's the baseball teams pulling out and the and the corporations saying I'm going to move my new plant not to your state now if you keep doing this cuz it's going to be mayhem. Look look, the people have proven it, you know? So it's a circuitous route but very powerful. Well, people who I think maybe view your music as being uh, too harsh or too openly political. I would urge them to listen to a song like Simultaneously, right? Where you were questioning your own motives, right? Your own exhaustion about being outraged, about constantly giving all the fucks, you know? Can't you just wake me when it's all done? Because I think a lot of us feel that but don't really want to say it. We'll just be like, yeah. well, oh my God, another white police officer killed another black guy in Minnesota yesterday, right? How many things can I be outraged about? And I kind of wish I could wake up when things have been figured out. And that conversation also needs to be had, which you had in that song. It's, it's too overwhelming. It's completely too overwhelming to stay present to everything that is going wrong on the scale that it is going wrong all around us right now, you know? So I think that's part of the tactic, you know, certainly that we saw amped up with the former administration. It's just, you make it so overwhelming that people... It, 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 people can't deal. You just want to resign yourself. You you become, you start feeling helpless, you know. So that's definitely uh, in the air all around us and in us for good reason. Yeah, so I just, I don't know. I spoke to it in that song. Though it did give me pause, like you say, to even express it, you know, because... Expressing. Yeah, if Ani DeFranco doesn't believe in it. Yeah, if, if, if she's, she's tired, exhausted. How are we not <laughs> all giving up? Yeah. I live in two different worlds simultaneously. 
lonely in those early days when you were just trying to figure things out on the yes. road? It was very lonely. Very lonely. All the solo touring. Even the duo years, you know, Andy... Yeah, it was less lonely with Andy, but I was still... It was still my thing and my problem and my job to figure out where we were going and my job to get paid and my job to sell the tapes or talk to the people or you know it's it it uh it was a lot for a lot of years and I did actually whew, I think in the late 90s I was close to burnout you know mm-hmm. um sort of trying to do it all myself but then um you know, I just about that time I started to be able to afford, well, first a sound guy, you know, which was huge for me. Yeah. Um, and then other, you know, support people. So that made it more sustainable. But yeah, it was a long, long road. How many people do you think discovered you accidentally as the opening credit song in My Best Friend's Wedding? <laughs> I don't know. 68? I don't know. <laughs> 73? <laughs> Wishing and hoping and thinking and praying, planning and dreaming each night of his charms that won't get you into his arms. It was the most surprising <laughs> way that people started actually coming to your shows and finding out about you on a much bigger scale. Well, you know, the cool thing about me, I think, if I should say so myself, is that there's actually all kinds of people who come to my shows, like from kids, Uh you know, to old people. And sometimes in one family, which I love, there'll be like three generations, you know, and it's not just grandma, mother, daughter, or so it's grandpa it's dudes and you know it's lots of a big age spectrum at my shows which Mm. is kind of unique um and 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 what you get to sort of sense if you're me and you've been at every one of my freaking shows is that everybody finds their own way and there's lots of really interesting ways that people take to show up to one of my shows, you know, maybe it's a guitar player, you know, who's like, dude, I heard that thing. And I was just like, what the hell is she doing? I got to <laughs> and I play acoustic guitar and holy shit, I love this, you know, or whatever it is, you know, there's different, like with any art, there's different ways that it connects with different people. And, um, so You know, I find that, you know, there was the sort of uh, stereotypical way that you talked about that the media said, this is what this art is and how it should connect with this person here, but not any of the rest of you. So there's those people who came for that line in that song and then that line in that song, you know, anything that sort of smacked of female empowerment. But um, there's a lot of other stuff going on in my work gotta do is hold him and kiss him and squeeze him and love him just do it and after you do you will be his you will be his you know i used to have this really interesting 
when my audience was completely under the cloak of the media, like we've been talking about, Mm -hmm. that was only the case in America. So even in like 1994, you know, I could go to Europe and play for a very diverse audience and they would respond to all sorts of things, not just that line in that song and that line in that song, you know, so it was so, so vivid for me, the effect that the media, that the story people tell about you has a great effect, uh, on you, (laughs) the artist. I think you are, whether or not you think of yourself as this or not, like an extension of what Pete Seeger's vision is telling stories, making society, a little bit better each show and bringing people together. And you said that, you know, when you worked with him, when you saw him, you saw this unassuming power that came from a calm sense of purpose and a palpable lack of fear. Punch. Stop. The yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Pete. Pete's definitely a shining example for me, you know, in uh, like I said, yeah. Um, and, you know, I always have, have often joked that I want to be him when I grow up, <laughs> you know. From this valley they say you are going We will miss your bright eyes and sweet smile For they say you are taking the sunshine That has brightened our pathways a while of anybody out there, I've been carrying that mantle, you know, in the in a in a somewhat younger generation, um, the mantle of the folk singer, of the political rabble rouser artist. So, you know, it's it's funny just in the going back to sort of patriarchal culture and its blind spots, you know, that has come into our conversation. Mm-hmm. It's always funny to me to see. You used to see it a lot, I guess. Maybe it's waning because times are a-changing. But the new Dylan, who's the new Dylan? Who's the new Dylan? I don't think anybody ever considered me. You know? (laughs) How dare they? Not that I'm trying to blow up my cell and say I'm the voice. I'm just saying, you know, the new one of those could just not have a penis. And so therefore not be noticed, you know, or who's the new, like, you know, it's always interesting to me when, yeah, it's just hard. It's just hard to see something new, you know, that um, maybe the new guitar player that you want to feature in your guitar isn't a dude. Maybe you forgot (laughs) to look at the rest or maybe, yeah, it's just... um, so, but I, I do think, yeah, I, I experienced myself as firmly planted. I mean, literally, I came up in the folk circuit. Uh, I live in the folk world. Those are my people. That's my community. Those are my promoters still. Those are my allies. Those are, um, and my teachers, you know, like Pete or, you know, I mean, Nora Guthrie, Woody's daughter is... Mm. Uh, like a mentor of mine too. And, you know, so, and these are the people whose footsteps I've been very willingly following. Well, I think there's something that you put in your music that you did from a very young age that a lot of people would be afraid to do. 
being deeply personal, deeply vulnerable and showing your anger, your outrage, your fear. Um, a song like untouchable face, you know, where you're saying like, fuck you for making me want you for making me incomplete. Yeah. That part of a love affair. We don't really talk about that. We're canceled out. by This desire. Yeah. And that song reminded me of, you know, what I love about Tracy Chapman, just taking a simple two guitar drone uh-huh, almost, yeah, yeah. and just bringing poetry to it. And that feels like something that, yeah, like Dylan was doing in the 60s and that maybe people should have realized that you were doing something like that in the early 90s. But they just saw... Girls. Oh, yeah, girl. She's, yeah. she's raising her fist on that <laughs> yeah. on that patch on that girl's jacket. I don't I don't know. Yeah. But yeah. now I'm listening to it. And I see how ahead of its time it was and how important it was. And it still is. Yeah, I mean, I guess for me, I think at one point you you asked like, did it ever make you mad or sad that you know, you were being cast aside and sort of pushed into this tight little spot and that your art was not relevant to anybody but this small group over here. And um, I, yeah, it was frustrating uh, along the way, but always the experience for me of, you know, that experience of being sort of marginalized never hurt as much as the experience of somebody coming up to me of all kinds of makes and models and saying, oh my God, thank you. You know, that experience was so much more powerful and meaningful that it carried me through all those interviews, through all those years. I won't know what to say except fuck you and your untouchable face and fuck you. Existing in the first place, and who am I that I should be vying for your touch? Said, Who am I? I bet you can't even tell me that much. And you know, like when I early on started writing about you know, uh, love affairs, not just with men, but with women, um, you know, and then being branded as bisexual, you know, that word bisexual came before my name for several decades. Bisexual singer, DeFranco, blah blah Or just lesbian. Yeah, lesbian, right, because if you're, right, if you're bisexual, you're, you're a lesbian. Uh, yeah, exactly. So, then I was only, then I was a queer person over there doing queer stuff with queer people. And, um, and you know, so again, like super aware if you're me that the moment you step into the arena, the moment you try to put your authentic voice and experience out there and it's not aligned with the dominant experience and voice, you will be reduced to it. You will instantly be reduced, you know, if... But I think there's people like Prince who existed in this gender fluid, genreless space who were able to see you and to say, hey, I want you on my team. Yeah, totally. Was that kind of scary? Oh, I mean, that was the thrill of my life. I mean, I'm such a 
Prince fan till I till I die, you know, and um, yeah, you know, again, there's another point of connection of me and somebody really different from me and with a different life experience. And, you know, when we really are open to each other and feeling each other and letting each other in, we can find so many ways of connecting and seeing each other and sharing experiences, you know, so... Yeah, what a wonderful thrill to connect with him a little bit, um, to have a chance to do that in this life. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, like him, uh, who, you know, yeah, it's we have to remind ourselves when we look back at people who seem like institutions, like they can't, like they must have always been held up yeah. as the thing that we now remember them as or know them for. no. They were fought. They were fought tooth and nail. You know, Malcolm X might be on a postage stamp now, but in his lifetime, you know, he was nothing but fought back and pushed down. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I think just sort of being accepting of that process, you know, is something that I've been working on over the course of my life. And I think I've come pretty far, you know, that sure, bisexual or lesbian singer DeFranco, what, what, what do you want to know about lesbian singer DeFranco? Or, you know, just go ahead, go ahead. You do your thing. I'm going to just keep being me, damn it. And I'm going to have fun doing it. And it's going to be a freaking great ride. And I'm going to outlive the stereotype. I'm going to outlive it. Well, you also are a mom, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, when you had your babies, did you feel like your identity changed or you always knew who you were? Um, I don't feel like my identity changed as much as other people seem to feel or wonder that or think, oh, now her identity will be changed. People change when they have kids. I think that is true often. So, um, you know, it's a thing to wonder. But, I mean, for me, uh, you know, I just feel like... And, and, and often I think the process that you hear from people is it makes them begin to worry about the future, about what the world will be for their kids, about the social issues that maybe they weren't focused on before. Now suddenly the importance is up because of their love for their children. It was almost the opposite for me. It's like I've been so focused and so worried yeah. about all this shit this whole time. And the kids come along and it's like, ah. Oh, Maybe I'll just sit and watch the grass grow and play some really inane, repetitive game for the next few hours and not worry about the world coming to an end. You know, that's what my kids did for me was almost like the opposite kind of balancing effect. Mm. Although, honestly, when you ask that question, I did have an image flash and I want to just share it to cop that I'm not so different from like, I remember the, the days of pushing a baby stroller. Like having a uh -huh. kid in a stroller and walking down the street pushing a stroller. It was hard. It was weird. It was weird to be me pushing a baby stroller <laughs> in my boots yeah. and my fucking army pants. And like I'm pushing a freaking stroller. But <clears throat> but I got, you know. See, feminist singer-songwriter yeah. <laughs> icons are just like us. Yeah, exactly. Just like it's not a very macho or rock and roll thing to push a baby stroller down the street. But there I was, you know, we all we all get humbled. 
do one last creative exercise with you as a poetic being because sometimes the best things come out of not bullshit interview questions uh, which I'm sure you're tired of so what we're going to do is stream of consciousness I'm going to take the following phrase and the first thing that comes to your mind maybe it's a place, maybe it's a person maybe it's something that happened to you don't even think about it, just the first thing that comes to your mind Okay. we're going to do it, okay here we go Imperfect. Lee. <laughs> I, I made an album once called Imperfectly. So that's all that's all that happened. I just pictured the cover of it. Oh yeah, that was the song with uh, In and Out, right? Yeah, I think so. I mean nineteen ninety two, talking about love affairs with men and women. It was before the Ellen DeGeneres moment. <laughs> yeah. Like, were you afraid of what people would think, or was it just like, throw it to the wind and see what happens? Ah, uh, I think I was pretty, you know, I was I was anti, I was anti a lot of things, you know, in the <laughs> dominant culture. So I was just like, go ahead, bring it on. I was put, I was, I was, if anything, willfully putting it in people's faces. All right, next one, toothless. Toothless. I mean, I just pictured a little baby. <laughs> little. I used to. I used to call my babies the toothless wonders. So yeah, maybe I'm gonna have to say Dante and Peta, back when they were my toothless wonders. If you could tour with anyone, living or dead, right now, who would it be? Brittany Howard. Me too. Yeah, cool. All right, very last one. Ravenclaw. Ooh. <laughs> well, okay, how about this? Netflix. <laughs> okay, why did she just say that? Because we have Netflix, and, 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 and recently I, I go there at night to look at some kind of TV, and it's all horror it's all it's all raven claws and blood yeah. coming out of dolls and and I'm like what who in this house is why is this suddenly curated for for Attila the Hun anyway I did figure out the movie uh, the 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 mystery somebody had hacked into our Netflix but it was all violent uh, raven claw just reminds me of all the images that were suddenly blanketing my Netflix panel well, I thank you for creating Revolutionary Love, and I hope people can listen to it. Um, can you actually read the part um, showing myself self-respect from there? Like, can you read it as a poem so people can actually hear those words? Um, let me see. I'll try to pull them out of my brain. Um, that's the beginning of the song. You know how hard it is to jump into yeah, a song in the middle, or just right? Just go, go, from, go from the beginning if you want, yeah. as much as you want. Uh, I will tend my anger. I will tend my grief. 
I will achieve safety. I will find relief. I'll show myself mercy. I'll show myself respect. I'll decide when I'm ready to forgive but not forget. I think we all need a little bit of that right now. Radical self-care. Yes, exactly. That's an, an important part of revolutionary love. You can't just do it for others or else you deplete yourself and you hit the wall. Yes, good, good, good way to go out and pointing out that love thyself, care for thyself, respect and uphold thyself, and then you can do it for others once you've learned that first step. And I will try, try to understand. now Ani DeFranco everybody you can go to AniDeFranco.com for her newest it's called Revolutionary Love it's on her Righteous Babe records please check it out it is beautiful and her memoir No Walls and the Recurring Dream can be bought on there as well if you head over to our mothership, thebluegrasssituation.com, you'll see that back in March there was a wonderful article written about Ani and her new record by Brittany McKenna. With hope shining through, Ani DeFranco returns with revolutionary love. It's a great article, so check it out, bluegrasssituation.com. I'd like to quickly send a note of appreciation to folks who maybe have just discovered this podcast and are leaving kind reviews on our iTunes page. Uh, Jen Groove from D.C., thank you. I appreciate that you uh, have discovered some new favorite artists on here. That's my job. And uh, maybe someone like Ani DeFranco, who you've heard of or seen play throughout the years, maybe you've actually discovered her in a new way. I know I did. As you may have heard at the top of the show, my group Dust Bowl Revival will be playing a double-ticketed concert experience on the internet. Mandolin.com is going to be doing some amazing shows with artists that you know and love, and uh, we'll be playing May 6th, our entire record, Is It You, Is It Me, Start to Finish, and May 13th, Old Songs and New Songs Alike. We're introducing some new talent to the band, and uh, if you've been following along with us through our entire 12-year journey, thank you for sticking with us. Big bands change. That's just how it works, folks. Um, we have some amazing new vocal and brass talent. There's going to be some really cool special guests on keys and electric guitar. So please check it out, dustbowlrevival.com. 
As you could probably tell, there are no commercials on this program, and that is awesome. But also, that means no one is paying us to do this wonderful show. So please, donate if you can, znlupitan at gmail.com on PayPal, and you can go on our website, theshowontheroad.com slash episodes, to see our entire archives. A couple weeks ago, we re-aired our episode with Steve Earle to honor the loss of his son, Justin Towns Earl, and it was a really emotional episode for me to record, and I hope you can check it out. And if you have an artist that you think I should talk to coming up, please send an email to showontheroadpod at gmail.com or hit us up on Instagram, showontheroadpodcast. Okay, that's it for me. Stay healthy, stay safe, get vaccinated, and we'll see you on the trail. <laughs>